Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the 414th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Vanessa Sage, Assistant Curator at the Figgy Art Museum, and we're going to be talking about For America, 200 Years of Painting from the National Academy of Design. The history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. And our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called Fadrukta Naren. And today we are talking about For America, 200 Years of Painting from the National Academy of Design with Miss Vanessa Sage, Assistant Curator at the Figgy Art Museum. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you start us with a little background of what exactly the National Academy of Design is? So the National Academy of Design is an honorary artist society based in New York. Uh, They were originally founded in 1825, and they've been around for, you know, since then. And this exhibition uh, features artwork spanning that time period. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about some of the artists that we might recognize. And also tell us then, how did these artworks end up in the collection for the National Academy for Design? Were they, were they donated? Were they required? You know, did you need to be invited to be part of this process? How's that all work? Yes, so it is invite only. And the works came into the collection uh, through the donation of its elected members. So a little bit more background on the organization. It was founded by a group of artists led by Samuel F. D. Morse who defected from an older organization. They didn't feel that they were getting what they needed from, it was the American Federation or American uh, Academy of Fine Arts. And they didn't feel like they were getting the training, and they felt like the the organization was too conservative. And so they gathered together uh, as a group of artists. So it was, you know, it was founded for artists by artists. And then the collection came into existence as it was a requirement that if you were elected to become a national academician, that you donated a representative work. And there was also the added requirement for a period of time that you were also to donate a portrait. And so within this exhibition, we've got this great opportunity to see portraits of the artists next to representative works. Some of the names that you would recognize are uh, William Merrick Chase. Uh, We have Thomas Aikens. We have Asher B. Duran. So we have in, in the first section, there's Hudson River Valley. Hudson River School artists. And then as you move on through the exhibition, you get into, you know, it's roughly chronological how it's organized. So you start off with the Hudson River School artists, and then you make your way through up into current times. So we have artists like Richard Estes in the last section of the exhibition, as well as other contemporary artists like uh, Joan Cook to see Smith. Okay, so how how many paintings, if I may ask, or um, contributions are with the Academy of Design, if I may ask? So there are, they have thousands of uh, works in their collection. Uh, They have had, um, so they've been around, like I said, since um, 18, formally, they formally broke with that 
older organization in 1826. And um, it's a rotating membership. So it's only living artists who are active uh, national academicians. And so over the course of 200 years, they've had uh, thousands of paintings uh, donated to the collection. So to make this more local, uh, how many paintings are at the Figgy? And um, how did you come into this collection? How did you um, find out that that it was uh, available? And then I'm always fascinated in how the uh, how a a, uh, display is put together and how you you put you know, why you put certain things in certain places and so forth. So talk to us a little bit about this particular exhibit at the Figgy. So there are uh, 99 paintings uh, in this uh, this venue, uh, this staging of the exhibition at the City Art Museum. And, and it spans across three floors. And then to add to that, we also installed works from our permanent collection by national academicians that we have. And so we freshened up some of the permanent galleries and also have an exhibition dedicated to works on paper in the Figgy collection that are by national academicians. So there's, they are the leading American artists um, over the past 200 years. Many of them were national academicians. And so, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so how long is this uh, display going on in, in uh, at the Figgy? This is up through May 16th. Um, so... You said that the collection is is arranged chronologically. Talk us through what what you at least see as some of the highlights on each floor. Something if I if I've only got an hour to go through this this particular exhibit, what what are the things that I really want to see? Okay, so like I mentioned, it's it's arranged roughly chronologically, but there's there's five sections, um, and so it begins on the third floor. Um, so when you would come to the museum, you'd want to start on the third floor, and that is where the For America um, begins, and it begins with uh, Hudson uh, River School paintings. So I would say on the third floor, one feature that we plan specifically for the installation at the city is we have a salon style wall. Uh, So that means that we have multiple rows of paintings installed in the middle of the gallery and it's a feature wall. So I would, that's, that's one thing I would suggest um, going and looking at when you're on the third floor and that uh, wall displays a group of works, including works by a Taos artist. It's more like a, a regionalist, uh, type wall on that wall. And um, then as you would enter the third floor, you're, we, what we like to do with installations is there's works we like to break out um, that are really um, you know, dramatic and, and good works. And so we'll put those on the walls. So I, the, the temporary, they're accent color walls. So if you're up there and you, there's these you know, moments of discovery when you're rounding a corner and at the back of the gallery, is a painting by Henry Oswald Tanner um, that's a miraculous hall of fishes next to a portrait of him. So those are some highlights on the third floor. Going down to the second floor, I would say one of the first things that you're going to see coming off of the elevator or up the stairs is a self-portrait by the American artist uh, Andrew Wyeth. And it was one of the first works that he completed 
in tempera, which is the medium that he is best known for. You might know him for uh, his painting called uh, Christina, Christina's World. It's a girl on a hill looking up at a house in the distance. And then as you go down to the first floor, I would say that we have a wonderful painting uh, by Joan Quickesey Smith, who is a Native American artist called Snake Dance. And I would suggest that people look really closely at that work because in the same way that uh, pop artists kind of do, she, she layers things into the work. And so you'll see that she references Albrecht Durer's uh, Rabbit, but then underneath of that, uh, she's also included uh, Bugs Bunny's feet, which is a nice uh, little thing that you can notice. Yeah, I like that. Cool. Okay. All right. So we have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of the show. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. The 88.5 FM website keeps you up to date with everything KALA, including a complete program schedule for 88.5 and 106.1 FM. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. The second segment of our show, this is called The Kitchen Table, and our guest for today's show is Vanessa Sage, assistant curator at the Figgy Art Museum, and we're talking about For America, 200 Years of Painting from the National Academy of Design. Our history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. Ed, start us off. Thanks, Jay. Vanessa, can you tell us about the process uh, that's involved with either putting on uh, a special exhibit like this or getting into um, something like this? Does the figgy decide, hey, we want to do this special exhibit, or is there some like database out there where you see what exhibit, exhibits are on tour and then sign up? Um, strikes me this could be a little complicated. So there are, there's a lot of different ways that we organize exhibitions. And so this, what For America is, is a, a traveling, we call it a packaged exhibition. So that means that somebody else has organized it. In this case, it's the American Federation of the Arts organized it um, with the National Academy of Design. So they, they co-organized the exhibition. And uh, the American Federation of the Arts has been around for a really long time, and they were, um, they've been supporting traveling exhibitions for a, a long time. So part of their mission is to help share artwork across the country through exhibitions like this. And the way we become aware of these exhibition varies. We have, there's all sorts of organizations out there that organize these packaged exhibitions, and then sometimes museums will organize them. And so, like the Figgy, for instance, we're organizing an exhibition of artwork by an artist named Leslie Dill that is traveling to several other museums throughout the country. Okay, Terry. Yes, um, Vanessa, you mentioned that we would see paired a, a portrait 
um, either done by the uh, artist or perhaps by someone else, and in law, mm-hmm. as well as a representation of one of their works. Would we also see some type of essays or commentaries um, that are part of the exhibit that would help the person who's looking at the paintings to understand more about the time period? Yes, and so there's a couple different uh, types of pairings. And what I'd say is not everything has a portrait with it. Um, there's different types of things going on throughout the exhibition. So we do have portraits of artists either by their own, own hand or by somebody else. A lot of these artists were colleagues and friends with one another, and they would paint one another, and then perhaps they would donate a work uh, that was a portrait of another artist as their representative work, and then some other artists that they knew would donate a portrait of them. And so there's some instances of that um, within the exhibition. And then there are also ahistorical pairings in the exhibition, which is something that is really interesting so that they've placed contemporary works uh, next to historical works. And one of those is in uh, the first uh, section, which is called Founding an American School. And they've placed a landscape painting by an artist named Altoon Sultan uh, between a Frederick Edwin uh, Church painting of a landscape uh, and an Albert Bierstadt painting of a landscape. And so you can see how contemporary artists are dealing with the same subject matter um, that was being, you know, focused on 200 uh, or 150 years earlier. And then, as you you mentioned, there's also uh, contemporary artists who've responded in words to paintings, like for the Albert Bierstadt painting, uh, the Native American artist, uh, Joan Quick to see Smith, responded in words to that work. Okay. A uh, question a little bit more with the history of the um, institution. Of course, you said that it broke off nearly 200 years ago from another institution because it felt that it wasn't getting the freedom or the direction that it deserved. We're historians. And we know mm-hmm. that there's times that arts art flourishes, and there are times that it's difficult, and society isn't really going into that direction. Has there been other organizations that may have branched off from you know this institution, or and were there times that you know because the times were tough, it really was shown through the art? So there are many organizations that were connected to it also branched off from the National Academy of Design. So the the organization that they broke with was the American Academy of the Fine Arts. And after the National Academy of Design was founded and more students and, and more people started migrating over to the National Academy of Design, the American Academy of Fine Arts quickly uh, went out of business, basically. They, they closed in 1841. And then in the National Academy of Design, there's, you know, there's this interesting back and forth that happens through time as this upstart organization, the National Academy, uh, became the more powerful and in many ways um, more traditional ex- uh organization and then other organizations branched off from that. One example is the Art Students League, uh, which is in New York, and that um, developed out of students that were attending the National Academy of Design. And, And now that's a very vital institution and has been for a really long time. 
Okay, uh, Vanessa, I'm interested in always in in the the tactile part of of a, of a painting and how that works. Um, its size, um, the kind of detail or lack of detail that's going in, the use of paints, um, you know, or other materials. Will I get a representation of a lot of different kinds of uh, materials and size and textures and all of those kinds of things? Or was that somehow standardized as part of your, um, your requirement to, to provide to the Academy? So the Academy was, uh, so within the exhibition, when you walk through the exhibition, you'll see uh, you know, from the beginning, those paintings are very, uh, they're very finely finished, highly detailed. Um, but then you'll see that things, things are changing as you get more into the impressionistic uh, work that's being inspired by uh, European artwork that was happening at the time. So looser brush strokes. So you, there's a lot of variety in terms of what's happening in the painting. So it starts off that very tight, finely finished, and that was what uh, the Hudson River School is is known for and some of the artists that were working in the early years of the Academy. But then things get looser as you go forward. And um, then in the, in the more contemporary sections, you can see all different kinds of realism happening. What I will say is that all of the paintings in the exhibition are representational in some way, but they're, some of them are highly abstracted, but still representational. And some of them have, you know, they have the, the brush strokes of abstract or gestural abstraction happening, but they're using that to portray a landscape. Okay. okay. Ed. Yeah. Um, Vanessa, can you give us a, a rough lay of the land um, with regard to the finances on special exhibits like this? Um, I mean, there's sometimes museums will have a special entrance fee just for that exhibit. Um, but, you know, nobody does anything for nothing. And so what, what's the rough lay of the land on this? So it varies. We were we're very lucky in that um, this exhibition is part of a major exhibition, our major exhibitions endowment. So just um, traveling an exhibition is extremely expensive because when you think about like think about uh, the crates that have to be built for these paintings, things to keep the painting safe, and then the transportation of those works and the insurance for those works. So to have an exhibition. Uh, like this, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, and so it has a lot of costs associated with it. And with this endowment uh, that was generously sponsored by a lot of um, sponsors in the area, we have uh, funds to help support bringing exhibitions like this um, to the city. And some of the money finds its way back to the original lending, in, the lending uh, art institutions, and the people in the middle always get their cut. Is that more or less how it works? Well, what's interesting is the so the National Academy of Design, in talking with their their curator, curator came and was or had a virtual program. But this has allowed. Um, this preparing for this exhibition and traveling for this exhibition uh, has allowed them to conserve um, 
supported the conservation of some of the paintings that are in the exhibition. And so we get to see, you know, there's a benefit to that. Um, in terms of the American Federation of the Arts, I believe they're a nonprofit organization as well. Terry. Yes. Um, Vanessa, I'd like to talk about the first section. You said there were five sections uh, for this exhibit. Mm -hmm. I would assume there would be a lot of landscape paintings there, um, mostly probably um, representational rather than abstract, but maybe there's all of those. But I'd like to know, as a person visiting uh, that section of the exhibit, what should I look for in ways to understand a landscape painting? So that section has, uh, when you enter onto the third floor, the first thing that you will see is a painting by John Frederick Kensett. And I think one thing to note about those early paintings uh, that are in that section is that you get, you know, you get the first impression, but then as you get closer, you get to see more and more detail. And that really takes you into the landscape. And one thing that I love about the Kensett painting, it's called the Bashfish, is that he, it's of a waterfall area in the Berkshires. And usually uh, painters would paint the dr this dramatic, tall waterfall. But he selected instead to paint a lower, uh, like a lower gully and a lower pool of the area. And it really, it, it, you kind of sink into that painting in the bottom of it. And so you get the sense of being uh, deep in the woods and then being surrounded uh, by the nature. Thank you. Vanessa, so out of the entire collection that, that came, uh, what is the piece that, that most um, surprised you, caught your eye, uh, whatever you would call it, when in, when the pieces first arrived, and then can you also talk about the arrangement themselves? And you know, did since this was a created collection, did they also give you display instructions? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'll go with the first one. So the like I um, mentioned, there's five sections. And the exhibition was divided, you know, it's divided into those sections as we get it. And then the curator had also, you know, there's the pairings that they really wanted to be next to one another, which makes sense. I mean, to have a portrait next to the painting or to have those ahistorical pairings that they were very uh, careful to put together. But within that framework, there's still flexibility uh, because of our space and because of the way there were certain paintings, I guess this speaks to the first thing you asked, there were certain paintings that I felt were really, really strong, and I wanted to be able to highlight those by putting them on. You know, sometimes paintings look really good on different colors, and so we were very careful in choosing the colors for this exhibition, and I chose those colors with my, in mind what paintings I wanted to break out and put on their own uh, feature walls. And um, so two, one of those paintings was the Henry Oswa Tanner Miraculous Hall of Fishes next to uh, the portrait of Tanner by a colleague. And that one uh, is a striking, very striking work. And when you see it from far away, it, it's a boat 
Um, it's from the, the story. It's the story of the miraculous holofishes, where uh, there's two fishing boats that aren't catching anything, and then uh, Jesus blesses the waters, and then their their nets fill up with fish. And there's this bright light that reflects off of the the bottom that Tanner put on, and so it's one of. But he's very uh, he paints in these really expressive ways and so it's two different experiences you see it from afar and you see that bright glinting light on the bottom but then as you get closer you see the heavy impasto and the way that he painted it and so it it, the experience changes as you get closer to the work okay it is customary to give our guests the last word uh, for our show uh, Vanessa, why do you think that knowing about the works of the National Academy of Design is relevant in today's world? Well, I think that it is, it's very relevant because we're in a time of both a national and personal self-reflection right now. And as you walk through the exhibition, you can see what these artists Um, you know, how they painted themselves, how they painted people they knew, and how they painted the world around them. And you can also see how the organization changed through time in terms of the, you know, the diversity of artists involved with the exhibition, as well as the changes in style and subject matter as you walk through and look at the, you know, nearly 100 paintings on view. Okay, I'm going to give an extension. Ed, why do you think that this is relevant in today's world? And I'll ask Terry. Well, I've always felt that you can't know where you're going unless you know where you came from. And this is one way. uh, I wish I knew more about art. um, But this is uh, one one way um, to approach that question. Okay, Terry. I also think one of the sections, too, um, on post-war realism, where they looked at equality and social issues and class I think would be very relevant for today okay Jay um, I, I guess I'm going to do a little plug for the figgy um, I think not only is this particular exhibit um, relevant but I think the figgy as a, as a whole is relevant um, we are very I sometimes I think we in the Quad Cities take for granted the fact that we have um, a museum and an art museum and you know we have a lot of things around that that provide culture and meaning to our lives um, and we're really not a very big metropolitan area to have a, a piece to, to have a, an institution of the quality of the figgy um, so I would encourage people not only to go but I would also encourage them once you've been through the exhibit but walk through the permanent collections. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool stuff at the Figgy, and it's worth doing. I have brought friends of mine from from other parts of the nation, and when they see the Figgy, they're totally knocked out how impressive it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it really is a high-quality art museum in, in a relatively small town. Okay. All right. When we get back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant, 
This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 414th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Vanessa Sage, assistant curator at the Figgy Art Museum. We've been talking about For America, 200 Years of Painting from the National Academy of Design. The history buffs for today's show were Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KLA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala. Peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.